Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. Oh man, it is good to worship with you this morning in God's house. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm the associate pastor here at Radiant Life Church. And I just say, can I just say, I love our team here at Radiant Life Church. We have phenomenal pastors in Lance and Angel, but we also have a phenomenal team. Pastor Anthony, Kim, and Pastor Phil, and Emily, uh, Mantha. We have a phenomenal team here at the church. We are truly blessed. And uh, it is an honor to be a part of this team and to be a part of this church and be one of your pastors. And so it's, a, it's with privilege that I get to bring God's word to you this morning as we kick off a new series. How many of you guys are ready for the summer to be done? Whoa, that's more than what I thought. Some of you guys are like ready. You guys... You're ready for the fall, ready for football, ready for uh, cold weather and nice chilly mornings and sweatshirt. There's nothing better than wearing a good sweatshirt, right? Nothing better than wearing a good sweatshirt. I'm ready for summer to come to the end, not because like I don't like the warm weather. I'm cool with the warm weather. It's just the chaos that summer brings. My family runs all over the place in the summer. My wife is involved in several different camps, or I say several. She's involved in a couple different camps. She's going to be quickly to correct me. It's only three, three camps, not several, three camps. My, my kids go down to my in-laws a lot during the summer. We're just all going in opposite directions. And if you know anything about me, travel does not sit well with me. I hate traveling. Things just don't go well for me half the time when I travel. I preached a message about a year ago about our vacation. And uh, if you go back and listen to that, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Traveling and me are like oil and water. We just don't mix very well. And uh, case in point, a couple weeks ago, we had the, uh, the honor and the privilege to go down to a conference down in Columbus where we got to support some of our teenagers in performing their fine arts gifts. Teenagers are like, whoop, whoop, right? You guys still do that? Is that cool? Whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. If not, we're bringing it back. <laughs> bringing it back. I'm going to hear about this from my daughter when I get home. Like, Dad, so cringe. So, so cringe. But we got to support our, our, some of our fine arts kids, and we got to go to some awesome sessions. And it was a good time when my two youngest kids are eight and seven, and they went down to my in-laws for the week. And it closed out Friday, and we knew the closing ceremonies was going to be super long. So I told Kim, hey, I'm going to leave early, go down, pick up my kids, bring them back home. You guys can take your time, come back whenever you want. But that way they're going to get back at a certain bedtime because nobody wants to deal with cranky kids in the morning when they didn't get enough sleep. Amen. And so I go and I pick them up and I travel home. Everything goes well. Nothing's wrong. Everything's great. Um, I didn't have my van. And so that's why things went really well. I had uh, one of the church's vans. And so everything went away. I got home. I get home and I go to unload the van into my car and my key fob's not working. And I'm like, what is going on here? Why is my key fob working? I go to unlock the door manually. My battery's shot. It's dead. It's not even turning on at all. And I'm like, that's not a big deal. I've got jumper cables. And so we got pulled jumper cables out and I gave very clear instructions to my two youngest kids. Do not come near this van or you will die. And I sparked the cables just to give dramatic effect, like, you will die. Don't come near this. And my kids, 
were so obedient. They were like, whoa, that's awesome. No, we're not going to go near it. And they went off and they were perfect little angels. And we got the van or the car started. We got it home. Everything was good to go. I come in Sunday morning and I'm walking to the church. I get here early and I turn things on just to get ready to go for the morning. And I'm walking in on the sidewalk and I notice that there is some writing on the sidewalk of the church. And I thought, oh man, somebody let their kids draw on the sidewalk. Um, That's probably not the greatest place to, to have evidence of little kids just drawing as we get ready for people to come into church and maybe new guests and stuff. And I'm like, wow, who, who would be irresponsible enough to let their kids do that? So I just walk in and later on, Pastor Lance sends a message to all the staff saying, hey, this probably isn't a great way to welcome guests to our church. Can somebody clean this up? And I open up the message, the picture, he had to attach some, to attach some pictures, but they weren't loading. And I got things to do and I'm a little bit late. I'm like, okay, I'll look at it later. And I forgot about it. Until later on that afternoon, when my wife says, Do you, did you see what your kids did? How many of you know when it's something bad, it's your kids, not our kids. It's your kids. I do the same thing to her. I do the same thing. So I can't blame her on that. But she's like, did you see what your kids did? And I'm like, no. She's like, this is what your kids did. Here, I blame somebody else. And it's clear as day. My daughter wrote her name on the sidewalk, Abriella. I don't think there's another Abriella that goes to this church. I don't even know of another Abriella that exists. But this is her name, clear evidence. This was my kids. And next to it, if you can see that, it's upside down. And this is what Pastor Lance sent a picture to everybody. It says, my, my son, who is eight years old, decided to write, I will kill. I'm still a little confused why Pastor Lance didn't want new guests to see that as they come to church. and like, I will kill. Like, what kind of church is this? Now, I'm giving my son the benefit of the doubt that he's just trying to quote Paul, where Paul says, like, hey, put to death the deeds of the flesh. And he's like, I will kill sin. He just didn't get a chance to finish it all off. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. But when I saw this, I lost it. Because Pastor Lance, or Pastor Angel, Pastor Anthony, God bless their hearts, were out there scrubbing this off. Because my kids did not use sidewalk chalk. They used flowers and rocks. And I think Pastor Angel, like, I still probably owe her money from a medical bill or throwing her shoulder out while she's scrubbing this off. She's like, it is not coming off. I don't know what is in these flowers. I don't know what they used. But that stuff is like nature's permanent marker was put on these sidewalks. Aubrey, my daughter's name, and I will kill. And so when I found this out, my natural response is, what were you thinking? And I got livid with my kids. What were you thinking? I know exactly what they were thinking. They said, dad didn't go, said, don't go near the cars. He said nothing about writing on the sidewalks. And in To their credit, I did not. I gave them a little bit too much benefit of the doubt. And anyways, they rode on this sidewalk. And my response is, what were you thinking? We've all had moments in our life, right? Where we've either asked that question or have been asked that question. What were you thinking? Some of it's funny. Some of it we can look back in like high school yearbook pictures and say, whoa, what was I thinking? Clothes we used to wear, kind of like uh, this picture here. This is an outfit that I wore when I was a teenager. This was... That's good, right? 
my, my oldest daughter saw this and she's like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, purple pants, huh? She's like, it's way more than the purple pants. It's, it's kind of everything that's happening there. This was my special outfit. This is what I wore to church. This is what I wore to all of our away basketball games when we had to dress up. It also came, what you can't see, it came with a bolo. And so I had a bolo tie that went on there. It was the epitome of style in the, in the mid-90s. This was my purple pants pastel shirt. The ironic thing is my mom let me buy this. She actually used her own money to purchase this for me. So I don't know who's to blame more, me or my mom, who, who uh, lent it in and let me, let me get it. I wore it all the time. I thought I was the epitome of cool. And now I look back and say, what was I thinking with that outfit? I know what I was thinking. I'm thinking, nobody else has an outfit like this. I'm going to be unique. I'm going to be different. It's a good reason that nobody has that outfit. <laughs> and Matthew has something similar on. <laughs> but it's not purple. It's not purple. I think, Matthew, you got great taste. Great taste. <laughs> oh, oh, she just said, she just said his mom, her, the mom bought it for him. So, hey, not totally your fault. I get it. I've been there. Trust me. I've been there. I get it. But we've all asked, what, what were we thinking? We, and we have funny moments like this, right? We can look back. We can all laugh at ourselves. But sometimes we get to the point where we, we ask that question, and, and the situation is a little bit more serious. It has bigger consequences. Stupid decisions that have long-lasting uh, consequences in our life. If only we had a little bit more wisdom, things could have turned out so much differently, right? So much differently if we just had a little wisdom. And that's the heart behind this new series that we're starting in Proverbs. And our heart is to teach you how to walk in wisdom. God's word is full of it. It's full of wisdom. It's full of understanding. And it encourages us day by day to grow in that wisdom. And so we start this series in Proverbs. And what better place to start than the beginning? Proverbs chapter 1. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there or if you want to read on the screen, we're going to be reading out of Proverbs chapter 1. But as we do so, uh, just a little background on the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was written by uh, King Solomon, who was the son of David, who was known for the, being the wisest man who ever lived the rich, and the richest man who ever lived. On the night of his coronation, he sacrificed a thousand bulls to the Lord, and God was pleased with his sacrifice. And so he came to him and said, hey, you can ask me anything you want, and I'll grant it to you. And, and Solomon said, God, if you just give me wisdom to govern these people and my coming and my going, that's, just give me wisdom. That's the one thing I ask for. And God says, great answer. Correct. Good answer, because I'll give you wisdom and I'll give you everything that comes with it. And so it says that he is the richest man who's ever lived, even to this day, believing that he's still the richest man who's ever lived. I think his, his estimated worth in today's standard is $2.1 trillion. Not billion, not million, trillion dollars. I can't even fathom a million, let alone a billion, let alone multiple trillions of dollars. But this is what Solomon had. And God granted it all to him because he chose wisely and asked for wisdom. And so in this, he wrote, he wrote a lot of and collected a lot of the book of Proverbs. And so he puts it together. And the book of Proverbs is basically a modern day version of Solomon's Twitter feed. And so it's just a bunch of like little wise sayings that he's just posting on the daily, one after another, after another, after another. And it's just words of wisdom, words that we can use to uh, help govern our life. 
And he wrote these down to pass them on to his kids and to uh, their kids' kids. And, and, and I think it's ironic that there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs because seven of our months have 31 days. Man, one for every single day. You've heard the saying, like, an apple a day keeps the dentist away or an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I think it's stupid because I've eaten apples before and I still have to go to the doctor. I've eaten apples and I still had to go to the dentist as a kid. I think that's dumb. I think a better saying is a, Proverbs, a proverb a day keeps the stupid away. And so we can live by that motto, right? And so I challenge you, take, take a day, uh, read through, just number them. Like, hey, today is the 20th. Read the 20th chapter of Proverbs. Make that a, a spiritual habit in your life of reading a proverb every single day and see if you don't grow in wisdom. But that's the book of Proverbs. And so we start in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give you insight to the simple, uh, insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. And here's the verse we're going to park on it today. For the fear of the Lord is a foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs says all throughout the book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if we're going to start learning about wisdom, it's probably a good place to start is the fear of the Lord. And so I want to unpack a little bit of what the fear of the Lord is, the significance it may have in our life, how we can walk in it, because it's not something we talk about a lot. We don't talk a lot about in church about the fear of the Lord. When we talk about fear, we talk about something that we are called and supposed to overcome. And that is true. That's an aspect of fear. There is an aspect of fear that we are called to overcome. But there's also an aspect of fear that we are called to allow to overcome us. And that is the fear of the Lord. See, fear, in, in the, the biblical word for fear had a couple different meanings. And it could mean to be terrified. It could mean to be scared. Like many of you, either snakes or spider. How many of you guys are scared of snakes or spiders? I'm not scared of them. I just don't like them touching me. I'm, I'm good if they're in a box. I'm good, but I don't want to touch it. There's a certain fear that is afraid, that is scared, that is terrified. Those are the fears that God calls us to overcome. The fear of man, the fear of the enemy, fear of the unknown. Those are things we can overcome with confidence in Christ. But there is also a side of fear that is an awe. It is a reverence. It is a respect. And that, friends, is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, to fear God is to be in awe of him. To honor, tremble, revere, esteem, respect, and value him more than anything or anyone else. That is the fear of the Lord. One author puts it this way, the fear of the Lord is not to be scared of God, but it's to be terrified to be away from him. Not to be scared of God, to be terrified to be away from his presence. If we truly know God, and we've been in his presence, and we've experienced his goodness and his fullness, we, we wouldn't want to live a second away from him. And that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's, not, it's, it's nothing and no one is, worse, is worth missing him. It's walking in the fear of the Lord. And so you may say, like, Pastor Matt, isn't that like an Old Testament thing? Isn't that like uh, an Old Testament thing? Hey, they walked in the fear of the Lord. But First John in the New Testament says that perfect love casts out fear. And, and I would say, yeah, that's true. Perfect love does cast out fear. 
but not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is different because the fear of the Lord and perfect love, per, the fear of the Lord and love are not uh, in opposition to one another. They're, they're to complement each other. It's like the, the uh, Michael Scott says from The Office. How many of you guys are Office fans? Michael Scott says when he's asked, would you rather your employees fear you or love you? He says both. I want my employees to be afraid of how much they love me. <laughs> and I think it's, that there's this element of truth to that statement, that fear of the Lord and love work together to bring perfection. It, it, they work together to bring per, uh, perfection. Love is half the equation, but it's not the full equation. There's a fear of the Lord. The other night at dinner, I'm talking with my oldest daughter, and uh, I'm mentioning, hey, I'm going to speak on the fear of the Lord. And so I asked her, I'm like, hey, what's the, what, what does that mean to you? What is the fear of the Lord? And she's like, well, I know, it, I know what it means, but I don't know how to explain it. I'm like, okay, that doesn't preach, but <laughs> I get it. So then I'm like, well, let me break it down like this. Uh, what would it mean to love God but not fear God? And again, she's like thinking about it, and she's like, I, I, uh, like she's trying to put words to some thoughts that she's trying to form in her head. So I'm like, I could sense she's struggling. So I ask her again. I'm like, okay, let me, let me break it down a little bit more. What would it look like for you to love me and your mom, but not fear us? And at that moment, you could tell like the light bulbs went off and she's like, oh, I probably think it would look like I would kind of do whatever I wanted to do. I'm like, oh, that's, that will preach. Because when we love somebody, we know that love is patient. We know that love is kind. We know that love is forgiving. We know that love is long-suffering. We know all these attributes of, of love, and we attribute them to God, and we attribute to them, to them to him rightly. But without the fear of the Lord to balance that out, what is keeping us from doing the things that he has commanded us not to do? See, love and fear of the Lord work together to bring perfection there's an external motive and there's internal motives. External motives are like, hey, if I do this, something's bad, something wrong is going to happen to me, so I'm not going to do that. Internal motives is saying, hey, I'm not doing this because um, uh, the, the way I know it's going to make me feel and I love this person, that's, that's perfect love. Sometimes we need external motives to propel and to build up internal motives inside of us, and that's what the fear of the Lord and, the, and love do to work together to bring perfection. And so uh, it is, uh, and so we had this conversation of what it looks like to have love for God, but not the fear of the Lord. Did you know that without the fear of the Lord, we can say that we love God, but look no different than the lost people that we are called to reach. We can love God, but not have a transformed life. We can love God, but not experience uh, a life change in our life as a result of it. Friends, the fear of the Lord works together with love to bring perfection. And so we need the fear of the Lord in our life. It has many benefits for us, and I want to cover a couple of those. Because, yes, it, it brings about wisdom, but there's also additional things that it also brings about. And the first one is this, is the fear of the Lord is, is our protection. The fear of the Lord is our protection. Proverbs 14, 26 says, Those who walk in the fear of the Lord can do so secure in confidence, and his children have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a protection. It is a refuge. It gives us the confidence to walk forward. A story, uh, a biblical story that makes me think about this is the story of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve were created in the garden. And God created man and woman. He looked at them and said, they are good. 
this is good. And, and things were good. And he gave them two rules. He said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge. Don't eat of the tree of, a tree of life. And everything's going to be good. And so they did. And they walked with God. And they had fellowship with God and communed with God on the regular. And so they walked around until the serpent came along. And he began to sow seeds of doubt into the protection of God. Because these rules acted like a, a protection for them. And so he begins to cast in doubt like, oh, did God really mean that? Did God really say that? Did God, I know what God is trying to do. He's trying to keep you from something. He's trying to keep you. Why? Because he knows if you eat of this, you're going to be as smart as him. You're going to see good and evil. You're going to be, you're going to be like God. And so he's just trying to keep you from that. And, and it says that Eve looked at the fruit and said she desired the wisdom that it could provide. And so she took it and she ate it. And then that moment, things changed. Things changed. Sin entered the world, and immediately they knew that they were naked. And when God came back into the garden, and he's walking, and he can't find them, he calls out to them, and Adam says, Lord, we're hiding because we are naked. We recognize our sinfulness. We're naked, and we are afraid. The first instance of fear in the Bible is Adam and Eve hiding from sin or hiding from God because of their sin. I believe before that, they were walking in the holy fear of the Lord. It doesn't say that specifically, but I believe they were walking under God's authority. They were walking under God's leadership. They were obeying God's commandments, and as a result, had a healthy fear of the God, a healthy fear of God in awe and in reverence of who he was. But the moment that the enemy came and twisted their mind and twisted the things, things of God, they ate of that fruit, and their eyes were open, and they saw the true holiness of God in light of their sinfulness, and they were afraid. Friends, there are two different kinds of fear of God. One is healthy. It's a holy fear of God that leads to awe and, and reverence and respect, and there's another fear that causes us to be scared and to hide. Friends, sin will always cause you to hide from God. Sin will lead to fear because fear is... is uh, when we have that fear of punishment, when we have that fear of God punishing us, but the fear of the Lord has nothing to hide. John chapter 3 says it again and again, that they loved darkness, but those who love God will come into the light. Friends, when we, when we experience the fear of the Lord, it is our protection. To Adam and Eve, it kind of felt like punishment, but the fear of the Lord is our protection. It's our covering. Do you know sometimes punishment, can fe- punishment or protection can feel like punishment sometimes? in our lives. What God is keeping us from is not keeping it from for his benefit. It's keeping it from for our benefit. It's our protection, but it can feel like punishment. I remember growing up, um, I didn't get spanked a lot. That was reserved for my brother who was a dummy, (laughs) super dumb. He gets spanked all the time after school. I was the person who, uh, if something happened, I could point to my brother and my parents like, ah, this sounds about right. So I got away with a lot of stuff. I probably should have been spanked more. But I remember the last time I got spanked was uh, after a family bike riding event. We went bike riding, and we came back, and I was probably eight or nine, and I was convinced I was the best bicycler in the world. I could ride everywhere. I was so good because I went on this trip, and I didn't fall but one time. One time I fell. 
But the rest of the time, it was good. I was great. I was a really good bicyclist. I was so good that I'm like, I got to keep up. I got to practice. And so the only way to practice is to ride. And you can't ride on the, on the street. It's di- or you can't ride on the driveway. That's different. You need to be on the street. And so I go out and I start riding on the street from my, my driveway to my neighbor's driveway, which is only about 50 yards. It's not that far. But when my parents found out that I rode on the street without supervision, they flipped out. And I got spanked. And I still remember it to this day. And I remember thinking, like, what is the big deal? There's, what's the big deal? It's just really short. I'm riding. I'm the best bicycler of our family. I'm really, really good. You don't trust me. You're trying to keep me from having fun out there. But now that I have kids, I realize that it wasn't, it wasn't a, the, the punishment. It was for my protection. There have been moments where I have yelled at my kids, and they come in crying. They're like, Dad, you're scary. And I'm like, good. I, I need to be scared. I need you to be scared of me right now because it's not for my benefits, for your protection. I need you to be scared. I'd rather than fear me in that moment and be safe than not fear me and be in, in, the, in, in harm's way. I need them to fear me. And so sometimes for our life, we, we look at God and we, we see certain things and like, hey, God's not keeping something from you because he's trying to punish you. He, he's there for your protection. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, we understand that that's for our benefit. There are certain things in Scripture, certain things in our life that we are not meant to learn through experience. Now, get me wrong. There, there are things in our life that, yeah, experience definitely helps. Experience definitely helps. But when it comes to some of the things uh, in, in Scripture, some of the, things, the ways of God, we weren't meant to learn them by experience. We were meant to learn them through faith. That when what God says, that we believe what God says about a thing, and we don't have to know all the reasons why, we just take him at his word and say, okay, God, if you said it, I believe it. But sometimes the church is, a bunch of, is full of a bunch of little kids who don't believe that the stove is hot. Yeah. And God says, don't touch the stove. And we say, ah, uh, is it really that hot? I, I think... I think, God, I think you're just really sensitive to heat. And so uh, I know you don't like hell. That's a hot place. And so that's where you send people. And you're really sensitive to heat. And so I think my tolerance of heat is better than your tolerance of heat. So let me touch and see if it's really hot. And we burned our fingers. And then we learn. And we wear that as a badge of honor when, when really it's just a sign of stupidity. Because God says, the stove is hot. Don't touch it. Friends, there's so much that we could save ourselves from, so much that we could avoid if we were just to walk and understand that God's protection is not punishment. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, we understand that it's for our benefit and it provides protection for us. Secondly, the fear of the Lord, when we walk in it, provides power. John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's preparing them for a life without him. He's preparing them for a life where he's no longer walking on the earth. And he starts encouraging them and giving them some promises that that, um, are are something they can take to the bank. And he says things like this, like, you can ask anything in my name and it'll be given to you. He says, you will do the same works and even greater works if I go to the Father. He says, uh, he says things like, if I go to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. You've known him. And you've experienced him, but I will send the Holy Spirit and he will live inside of you. And he will teach you all things and he will counsel you and he will be with you. And these are fantastic promises, but they're conditional. They're conditional on one thing, obedience. More than a 
over a half a dozen times in just John chapter 14, he says, if you obey my teachings, if you, then you will receive the Holy Spirit. If you obey my commandments, then you can do greater things. If you obey my commandments, you can ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. Friends, uh, the fear of the Lord is measured by our obedience. The fear of the Lord is measured by our obedience. And when we walk in the obedience produced by the fear of the Lord, we will receive power. Power to do the work of God in our lives. Power to do uh, what God has called us to do. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. There is nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing we can do to, uh, to, to nullify the salvation of God. It is a free gift of grace in our lives. What I'm talking about is walking in power. Did you know that you can be saved and never walk in the power of God in your life? You may experience a little bit here and there, but not the fullness. Not the fullness of the power of God that he has. But why? Because that comes through obedience. And the reason that it comes through obedience is because God will not share his power with those he cannot trust. God will not share his power with those he, you, he cannot trust. I am picking on my oldest daughter today, and she loves it. She loves it when I, when I use her in, in sermons. She's 14. In a year and a half, she's going to be driving, and I'm scared to death. I am scared to death because I've seen her drive a golf cart. And she almost took me her brother and her sister out on a golf cart. Nothing around us at all. There was nothing. No trees. No other golf carts. No, no bumpy ravines. Plain flat land. And she almost took us out on a golf cart. I'm like, what is my daughter going to do when it is 65 and there are other cars flying all around here? She's going to, there's no way she's going to make it. And it scares me to death. And everybody who's had teenagers, who's had to do student driving or put hours in, you all say amen. Amen? amen. You know what I'm talking about. So there's a level of me that is a little scared to give her the power of driving a car. When she hasn't, when she's shown me, she doesn't quite have it down to drive a golf cart yet. Friends, God will not give his power to those he cannot trust. It's the reason I believe in the, the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. It says that there was a couple who sold a piece of property and they brought it to the church and wanted to appear spiritually more um, esteemed than what they were. And so they said, hey, we're going to give this money to the church. And the apostles asked them, hey, um, is this the full amount? And they're like, yeah, definitely. It's the full amount. And uh, instantly, boom, they're dead. You've not lied to just us. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And boom, they, they lost their life as a result. God ain't playing. In that moment, God is establishing and building his church and says, I cannot establish my church on a bunch of people that, and give them the power to, to build my church if I can't trust them. And so he used Ananias and Sapphira's became an example. And it says from there on out, the disciples, the church grew and they fellowshiped with one another and they walked in the fear of the Lord. I walk in the fear of the Lord too. God has power available for every single one of us. But the, the determination of whether or not you walk in that is not whether or not you love Jesus and are saved, but are you obeying what he's taught you to do? Are you obeying what God, can he trust you with the power that he's made available? 
And friends, fear of the Lord is measured by our obedience. There's power available. Walk it out. And then lastly, just the last benefit we're going to cover, not an exhaustive list, but the fear of the Lord will lead us into praise. Fear of the Lord will lead us into, into praise. I said that, that part of the, the fear of God was an awe and a reverence and a respect for who he is. In light of who God is in our sinfulness and the bridge that Jesus has, has uh, crossed to, to be able to bring us into a right relationship. When we have a revelation of that and we see that, we are left in awe and we are left in wonder and amazement. Awe puts us in our rightful place compared to a holy, righteous God. It says that you are not the center of the universe. The world does not revolve around you. It is for God and his glory. And when we have the walk in the fear of the Lord, we recognize that and we, we, we worship with awe and we worship with wonder. Worship without the fear of the Lord makes me the center of my praise, not God. You ever been guilty of that? Oh man, I know I have. Or sometimes I come to God in, in worship or in prayer and I just give him all the things I need him to do. And don't take a minute or a second to say, God, what do you want? When we walk in the fear of the Lord and we approach him with awe and reverence and respect, our first words out is like, God, you are holy. What do you want? I'm here for you. You're not here for me. I'm here for you. What can I do? Can I listen? Can I, can I, can you, is there something you want me to do? Something you want me to pray with? I remember when I was uh, in prayer in my 20s, there was a, we'd get up in the morning, we'd go uh, pray, me and a, a couple other guys, and this particular morning they had to leave, and so I'm in the prayer room just by myself, and I'm praying, and I'm kind of laying on my face before God, just crying out to him, and it gets to be a certain time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to wrap up and, and get up and go, and so I get up, I go to get up, and, and I, I like to think I'm a relatively strong guy, especially back then in my 20s, I was like, I was working out. I could, I was strong, unlike Pastor Anthony, who's a little wimpy. I told him, like, I'm going to bring you up. We're going to do a push-up contest. But if I did that, Pastor Lance would have to come close because I'd be lying on the floor. I wouldn't be able to get up. So I'm not going to do that this morning. But I remember sitting there in the presence of God, and, and, and like I said, I like to think I could do push-ups. That was no problem. And I went to lift myself off the floor, and I physically could not get myself off the floor. Like there was a weight on me heavier than anything I've ever felt. And I literally couldn't get myself up off the floor and I'm trying and I'm like, whoa. And it was in that moment that I'm like, whoa, God, um, you're a bit bigger than I thought you were. You're a bit stronger than I thought you were. That if this little, just little speck of your presence is in this place and I can't move, God, what would it be like for your glory to fall in its fullness? God, I couldn't exist. So in that moment, I'm like Isaiah. It's like, God, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And all I could do is fall to the ground in worship and in awe and in reverence of who he is. When I think about those moments, God, oh man, woe is me of unclean, unclean lips. God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Friends, when we walk in the fear of the Lord, it leads us to praise. 
It leads us to that awe and that wonder and that revelation of who God is. God, you are so much bigger than I thought you were. You are so much stronger than I thought you were. You are so much more powerful. God, my situations, my circumstances, the, thought that, the things that I thought were important, Lord, as the, as, the old, as the old song, the old hymn says, Lord, those things fade away in the light of your glory and grace. The things of this earth, Lord, they grow strangely dim. I, I, I can't even, they don't even matter anymore in your presence. Have you ever been in that situation before? Have you ever been in that place? Friends, that's what the fear of the Lord produces in our life. An awe and re- respect and reverence and wonder. So how do we get it? How do we walk in the fear of the Lord? Many of you have may, maybe have never heard this before. It's not a matter of uh, just disobedience. It's a matter of maybe ignorance. And I don't say that in a negative way. It's just you don't know what you don't know. And so how do we walk in the fear of the Lord that establishes wisdom, protects us, gives us power, leads us into praise? How do we walk in the fear of the Lord? Well, Solomon doesn't leave us hanging because in the very next chapter, chapter 2, he, he outlines a couple things that we can do because the fear of the Lord is a habit that we can develop in our life. It's something that we can consistently do come before him and, and do a couple of these things that'll help establish the fear of the Lord in our life. And so Proverbs chapter two, verses one through five, and, and, and this is a little out of order just for flow sake. So bear with me. But the first thing is, um, the first thing we can do is treasure God's commandments, treasure God's commandments. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Sur- search for them as you would silver, seek them like hidden treasures. The book of Isaiah says that the fear of the Lord is our treasure. And you might wonder, like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to treasure, treasure God, treasure the fear of the Lord? So look at God's commandments and to place a high value of them and see them for what they are. See them for what they are, that they are not just good suggestions, but they are commandments for our benefit and for our protection. And they make power available to us. Esteem God's word. Treat it as a treasure. We all have things in our life that we treasure, right? And what do we do? Do we run them through the mud? Do we take them out and beat them up? No. We protect them. If we have a high view of God's word, we would treat it as a treasure and not like, not like our junk drawer at home. We all have junk drawers. We know what's in them. But we're like, I'm not going in that junk drawer unless I have to go in that junk drawer. Because it's a mess in that junk drawer. And I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to even know what I might find in it. But I'll go in the junk drawer if I have to. If I absolutely need something out of it, I will go in that junk drawer. And sometimes we treat God's word that way, don't we? Where we say, God, I know your word's there. I know it's beneficial for my life. I don't want to deal with all that right now. So I'll come to you when I need it. And I'll, I'll, I'll do the work when I need it. But God, I'm not going to come beforehand and do it. How you view God's word says a lot about what you think about God. Treasure God's commands. Secondly, approach him with humility. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. This, this idea of tuning your ear is an idea of like leaning in. I'm leaning in to hear what God has to say. It's the complete opposite of what my kids do whenever they're on their tablets. They tune out. I can literally be three feet away from them yelling at the top of my lungs, Alexander, and he doesn't hear a thing. And I'm like, how in the world? I have to physically turn the screen off. And then he says, oh, hey, dad, when'd you get home? Bro, I've been yelling at you for like five minutes. 
Oh, I didn't hear you. Why? Because he wasn't, he wasn't tuned in. He was tuned out. And when we lean in to hear the voice of God, when we lean in, we, we position ourselves in a, uh, a posture of humility and say, God, I'm hanging on every word you say. I don't want to miss a single thing. I don't want to miss what you have for me today. I don't want to miss what you might be saying. Why? Because my family's at stake. Because, God, I, there, there's work that you want me to do, Lord. I need, I need, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate to hear you. I want to walk in the fear of the Lord. God, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what you have to say. Are you leaning in to what God would say to you today? Friends, if we stop and just take a moment and listen, approach him with humility. And then lastly, ask for it. Cry out for insight. Ask for understanding. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. Just simply ask for it. God has the riches of heaven stored up for you. He has it at his disposal. But the book of James says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. God is just wanting us to ask. Lord, give me a healthy fear of you. Help me to walk out in fear and reverence. As Paul says, to work out my salvation in fear and trembling. God, teach me what that means. Help me to walk in the fear of the Lord. I don't want to walk in a way that dishonors you. I don't want to walk in a way that sees your protection as punishment. I don't want to walk in a way uh, that uh, this life that is completely devoid of power, the power of God that you have for my life, not for my sake, not for my glory, but for your glory. God, I want to do your work. God, I want to praise you. Just simply ask for it. Closing thought as we wrap up, and Pastor Phil's going to lead us in a moment of worship and just praise as we reflect on this. But James chapter 4 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Friends, the level of intimacy that you have with God is not based on God's drawing, it's based on your drawing. God is the responder in this situation. You are the initiator. Would you ask him today? Would you draw near to him today? Would you say, God, I'm here. What do you want to do? I'm drawing near. God is waiting and ready for you as we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we acknowledge you in this place. We acknowledge your greatness and your holiness. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are so completely other than what we are bigger than what we thought you were. Lord, we worship you and we thank you. God, would you give us a reverential fear of you? Not one that is scared, not one that goes in hiding because of sin, but Lord, one that can walk in the light and the fullness of what you called us to walk in. God, we need your protection. We need your power. Lead us in praise. We need you this morning. Would you be honored? Would you be glorified? Would you be lifted up? In Jesus' name, amen.